Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Now, my concern about governance in the city of Seattle is growing by the day. I have been talking with people like former Mayor Norm Rice. I did this last fall. Business leaders like Howard S. Wright. Next week with former Emmy Award-winning reporter from King 5, Julie Blacklow. And coming up in just a moment is an interview I had with former Seattle Mayor Greg Nichols. Now, this span of time covers from the early 1970s to 2010, true voices of experience over the last 40 years. People have asked me why voices of experience. Well, this is exactly why I do a show like this. I talk with people who have been in situations of power or whatever they are doing in life, but they have now stepped away and they have perspective, and they're not in the day-to-day operations. They're not in the midst of running, let's say, a city today, and they have better perspective on how they would do things differently and what they did that worked. So that is the reason for Voices of Experience. They're much more candid, much better interviews. Speaking of governing, I have been extremely critical of the Seattle City Council, and for good reason, I believe, but also at times Mayor Jenny Durkin. But I believe she deserves an A-plus for how she handled the pandemic. According to the Puget Sound Business Journal, Seattle has the lowest per capita rate of cases and hospitalizations in the nation and is nearly tied with San Francisco for the lowest death rates. Mayor Durkin said that the city is preparing for mass vaccinations coming up over the next couple of months and a large influx of vaccines are expected. And I don't believe that any person has stepped into the job as mayor of Seattle with more challenges that develop almost immediately than Mayor Durkin. The only comparison may be the Seattle fire that destroyed downtown Seattle in 1889. Harry White was mayor of Seattle at the time, and he lasted in office only one more year. Former Seattle mayor, Greg Nichols, coming up in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. As I mentioned, joining us today is former Seattle Mayor Greg Nichols. He was the 51st mayor elected to the office, and he served from January 1st, 2002, was reelected to a second term in 2005, and then he left the office on January 1st, 2010, for the last time. I mentioned to former Mayor Nichols that I'm very concerned about the city, as concerned as I've ever been. What does he think? You know, I, I, I am always very concerned about the city. I love the city. I think it's a very special place, and, um, and, and change is always difficult, and uh, even when it's for the best, it's, it's kind of hard to accept at first. So I, I try and look at it from a long uh, lens and 
I think that we are in as strong a position uh, as any city in the United States. Right now, we are all depressed. We've been in isolation for 13, uh, going on 13 months now. And our downtown looks awful. It looks abandoned. But that's because nobody is there. And they're not supposed to be there. So I and I, I would imagine these same conversations are happening in many cities around the country as people try and figure out a new normal and, uh, and, and haven't found it yet. That being said, some of the politics of the city right now disturbs me. The city council, to me, is not being taken very seriously and hasn't really uh, earned the right to be taken very seriously. They are not dealing with issues straight up. They're, they're playing uh, some, some games with things like public safety, and that is disturbing. The reason that I'm optimistic is that that pendulum swings back and forth. It's gone way to one side. Uh, council is much more, uh, much further to the left than when I was mayor, uh, or at any time that I'm that I'm remembering. But that will swing back. People will expect the city to deal with basic services in a business-like way, while continuing to do things that make life tolerable and 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 hopeful. For people who were without resources, that's really good to hear. I needed that um, because, again, <laughs> my like I say my hair's been on fire, and I I try to have that moderation to look at things. Yes, that the things that as they are now won't be. Our own council member uh, Lisa Herbold introduces like the poverty and mental health defense. To me, that's kind of a slippery slope. I think it's trying to mm-hmm. your heart's mm-hmm. in the right place, but to decriminalize these sorts of things, I just think sends a wrong message. What's your thoughts on that? Well, we all have to have a, an expectation of each other, an expectation that, that there are certain norms of behavior that we're going to accept in order for this many people to live together in a relatively small space. And part of that is uh, sanctions for, uh, for not living within those rules. And so I, the broad uh, decriminalization of all of that, I would have some concern with, though I think that looking at various pieces, such as marijuana, you know, marijuana used to be a pretty good chunk of the uh, <coughs> citations and arrests that SPD made, um, obviously no longer the case. And uh, yet a lot of people went to jail for something that we now accept as legal um, and, uh, and, and can buy, uh, you know, over the, over the counter. So, so that looking at different pieces, looking at whether they have a particular impact on people of color or low-income people, I think that's fair. I think a broad brush, we're going to throw all of this out, um, is not wise. It's not a good idea. Uh, you know, we started to look at that kind of issue with something called the Race and Social Justice Initiative that I started back uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago now. Um, and, you know, that conversation needs to continue. I had a great conversation with the deputy mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota, 
they took what Seattle did in the Race and Social Justice Initiative, they crossed out Seattle and they put in St. Paul. Um, they thought it was a great thing, and they looked at the services that they provide. And they found that snow removal was being done in a way that discriminated against low-income people and people of color. The reason is that they used to uh, mark streets that they were going to snowplow. And uh, you had to move your car or it would be taken. Um, in uh, wealthier neighborhoods, generally majority white neighborhoods, that meant you put it in your driveway. In lower income neighborhoods and neighborhoods for people of color that tended to be less the single family home with the off street parking and more reliant on on street parking, there were far more uh, cars that were impounded and they were impounded from people who needed the cars in order to work. So they changed how they did snow removal based on an analysis of how it affected a different people in their community and that it affected some people inequitably. So it's a good thing to look at and question uh, in a, in a systemic uh, way and fix it when you find a problem. But that doesn't mean that we throw out all the expectations we have of one another of how we live together uh, in a, um, in a densely populated city. You know, one of the things uh, very good information there, Greg, uh, one of the things that i um, looking at, too, and I've talked to some people about this, and I actually had a nice interview with uh, Judy Blacklow uh, about a week ago, former King TV reporter who's now retired. Yeah, she wrote a book, uh, Badass Reporter. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I, I talked to her about that. And, you know, one of the things, she lives out in Issaquah now. She's raising horses, and mm-hmm. she sounded great. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyhow, she spoke very highly of you. And um, talking about the previous mayor, she started in the 70s and she went off through 2000 oh, yeah. and then did stringing for some national networks and things like that for the mm-hmm. rest of her career. So, um, but one of the things that she talked about, and we look at too, in terms of what's going on now, for example, downtown, we have businesses leaving. And, and that yeah. is now a surprise because of, you know, what you just outlined with the um, COVID and, and all that's gone on. However, like Nordstrom, I mean, you just heard of basically an attack on Nordstrom. They broke like fifty to $60,000 windows or whatever. And she questioned, yeah. and I do too, where was the outrage from the city basically like, and I guess my image would have been the city council all coming together downtown with the mayor going, this is outrageous. We love mm-hmm. our businesses, and, and, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. Something like that. Um, we didn't yeah, see that. Yeah. So the silence almost is more troubling than not, you know, not saying anything. Mm-hmm. I certainly watched the protests uh, early last year, and I thought that they were wonderful until violence broke out, and that's very troubling. I, I saw... Uh, metro uh, vehicles, Seattle police vehicles, torched, uh, set on fire on the streets of downtown Seattle. And that, you know, is is unacceptable. And the, uh, I hate to do a, this is how we did it, but we were, uh, I came into office after 9-11, after uh, the uh, uh, WTO, and after a, a Mardi Gras 
where a young man was beaten to death in Pioneer Square in full view of the police who couldn't get there because the mob was so thick and so violent. Um, so, uh, so I had a very conscious approach, and that was, uh, A, uh, we protect free speech. B, we respect civil disobedience. It's part of the American tradition since the Boston Tea Party, but we will uphold the law. And three, we will have zero tolerance for violence against people or property. And those were the rules that we had, and we had very large uh, anti-war demonstrations against the Iraq war when it broke out. We had very large demonstrations against the federal immigration policies. And I'm talking like four uh, marches and and demonstrations of over 30,000 people. So, you know, not quite WTO size, but but pretty close. We had a total of one arrest during those four uh, demonstrations. And the reason was that we knew who the anarchists were. We knew where they would stage. And we never, ever let them get their baseball bats or their Molotov cocktails or their weapons out of their backpacks. We were on them. And and so people got to express themselves on those important issues. But they did it safely, and, uh, and, and we had no violence on the streets. Uh, so there are ways to manage it, and I, don't, I wasn't on the inside. I don't know what happened this time. But we also made it a point not to dress up in riot gear at the beginning, but to be in the crowd, in uniform, and, uh, and welcome people, and also keep an eye to make sure that the, uh, nothing uh, in terms of the violence uh, was able to break out. So I, so it, I would have done it differently. I don't know that they were facing, you know, very different circumstances. But, uh, but yeah, that was disappointing. The turning over of a neighborhood on Capitol Hill to, um, to folks who were, uh, you know, vigilantes, uh, I think, was a huge mistake. Uh, and, uh, and it would not have happened uh, on my watch. Uh, and people died uh, as a result. So, yeah, I would, you know, there are individual decisions that I would be critical of. Uh, but again, I think as a city, we're going to we're going to survive that, and we will thrive. And we have strengths and resilience that many other places would be envious of. I would think, from I may be speaking for a lot of people who are in the city and outside in the suburbs, would say. That's just the type of checklist that we would expect that the city would go through. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem like that's happening now because we're scratching our heads all the time going, what? It just seems so counterintuitive, so many things that occur. And that didn't happen. I mean, they took over a precinct. That, now I would imagine, never would have happened under your watch either. I mean, to give that up, it's like, when are you going to get – or give up a park and then say – I can even think of myself going, that's not going to turn out well in the end because every day they're there, they're going to believe more and more it's theirs. And it's going to be hard to get them out of there at some point. Well, yeah, and and to uh, cordon off a section of the city and say, have at it, it's yours. That I mean, that is turning an area over to vigilantes. And I don't like vigilantes of the right, but I also don't like vigilantes of the left. That's why you have peace officers is to 
uh, is to make sure that people are safe in their uh, in their neighborhoods, whether it's where they work or where they live or where they're shopping or what have you. Um, there are issues with the police. Uh, we certainly have reforms that need to be made. We need to think of the police in a different way in terms of public safety as opposed to social workers. We should have actual social workers uh, finding people who are mentally ill, finding people who are um, addicted, and helping them with you know, specific services and not putting it on the police once they start to, to act out in a manner that's dangerous to themselves and others. So there's certainly a lot of work to be done, but there are also some lines that probably should never be crossed. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to an interview with former Seattle Mayor Greg Nichols on Voices of Experience with your host, Paul Casey. have in mind a job description for the next mayor? Will it be the same or different because of what we've been through recently with COVID and other things going forward? You're optimistic about opening up and that's great, but is there anything that you would advise a mayor if they were to call you and say, hey, I want to know what your thoughts are on opening day? One of the things that you have to understand, and this is something that I believed, it's something that one of my mentors, uh, uh, believe very strongly, and that is that once the election is over, you're the mayor for everybody. So whether you are running on a law and order ticket or on a uh, I'm a nice guy and I fit the, you know, the happy city that this historically has been, or I'm a new kind of politician from the left or the right, you, you, you have to be the mayor for everybody. So, for instance, the business community did not support me uh, in my first uh, election. Uh, they supported my opponent, and that that was their choice, and that was fine. I wasn't happy about it at the time, I, but once I got done with the election and took on the job, the, among the first people I reached out to were the CEOs of Seattle's major companies. And I asked them, because we were headed into the post-9-11 recession, what we could do to help them weather that and keep creating great jobs for the people of Seattle. Um, and, you know, we followed through. We tried to do some of the things that they suggested would help them, uh, help them hire more people, be able to pay decent wages. Uh, so, um, so, you know, you, you have to let go of a bit of that. If you are going to run on a me versus them and they are going to be the outcasts, well, if that's the business community, that's a problem because they are the ones who create the jobs, whether it's a large business like Amazon or Starbucks or Boeing or, or Microsoft or smaller ones like, uh, you know, the, the uh, business down the street in the junction. You've got to be able to help create an environment where people are investing and people are able then to have opportunity as a result of that. So I would say you've got to, you know, you've got to run how you're going to run, but once it's over, 
you've got to reach out and make it clear that you're the mayor for everybody, whether they supported you or not. I have always believed that uh, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. And I would hope we elect somebody who has some feeling like that. Not that we elect someone who's not sharp and with it, but who also recognizes that in specific areas, there are people who are much more expert and whose advice you could uh, you could benefit from. Uh, I found that that was uh, a way to develop successful policies uh, based on the agenda that I brought with me to the uh, to the office and have clear have a clear agenda. Let people know what it is you want to do uh, and bring them along. Uh, try and get the whole city going in a direction as opposed to our national politics where we are uh, as divided as we have been since the Civil War. You know, I was a big proponent of districts. I'm going to be uh, uh-huh. candid with that. As a matter of fact, I was so for districts because I thought it was the best thing in the world and would solve all our problems is I even contributed money and bought radio on my own dime and whatever. And so it passed. Now I'm having real second thoughts about districts. I'm not sure (laughs) it's why all the problems we have now have resulted from that, but it it certainly seems to me we're much more fractured than we were before. What do you think about districts? Well, so I think there is no perfect answer. There's no right solution. It depends on the culture of the community. The advantage of districts is that every corner of the city has someone that they can go to who represents them and is accountable to them. And that's a good thing. It does mean that you have you know, different dynamics when you have a debate over uh, a citywide issue. Uh, but that's okay. The, you know, there, there's more than one way to debate an issue and come to a a solution. So I think one of the problems is that the districting system is new enough that our culture has not yet really adjusted to it. You know, the county council that I served on for 14 years had always had single member districts and certainly wasn't perfect, but it worked. We dealt with countywide issues and uh, we dealt with uh, you know, more localized issues, I think, fairly fairly well, but it was our culture. And one of the advantages of the culture is that you are accountable to the people of your district. No one else is. And that means they know where to find you and how to talk to you. Uh, and you're not necessarily in competition with the council member from the district next to you. You can cooperate. You can work together. You can team up on issues that might uh, be uh, uh, shared uh, between the districts. So, um, so there are ways for that to work, but it's a cult. You have to be used to it and adapt how you work to that environment. So, I, I like the fact that there are a couple of citywide uh, council members. I think I probably would have made one or two more, uh, as opposed to just the two. But uh, that at least makes sure that there's a couple of members who are looking at the citywide implications of issues and uh, hopefully adding that to the debate. Um, So I don't think it is the problem. I think the problem is that we simply have moved 
way to the left quickly. And, uh, and we don't necessarily have the same methods of communication that allow us to understand, you know, what, what, the, what those implications are. Uh, we used to have a very strong two newspapers. Uh, they were read well by lots of people in the city. Now we have one, and it is not as strong. Uh, we have lots of voices uh, that are aimed at small uh, slices of the community, but we don't really have those larger voices that help us kind of figure out where we're headed. And I think we miss that. I certainly felt in my last campaign in 2009, my last uh, mayoral campaign in 2009, that that it had changed a great deal in the eight years I had served in terms of who people were listening to, where they were getting their information. And it was much harder to figure out how to communicate a message about what we were doing. Fascinating. Very interesting that uh, that developed during your time. And you look at really technology and how it did develop. It was smack right in the midst of that early 2000 time frame to mm-hmm. about 2010 going forward. Yeah. PI folded up in there and the stranger became kind of the dominant political voice for a while. The Times uh, endorsement used to be, you know, the gold standard, and not anymore. It really almost doesn't move any votes at all. Well, thank you, Mayor Nichols, for spending time and Voices of Experience. I like having you on the program for many reasons, but one of the biggest ones now is that you make me feel much better about the future of Seattle. And you've seen a lot in politics here, so I am going to really internalize that. And by the way, I had an interview with former Mayor Norm Rice in the fall. We talked about many of the things that uh, Mayor Nichols and I talked about today, but uh, he was known as a community activist, and he was elected in a very turbulent time. As I recall, he was running his campaign during the time when busing to desegregate schools was on the ballot as well. Here you have an African-American male running for mayor. You have someone running in the, for mayor who is against school busing. The bottom line is people who wanted to repeal school busing won, but Norm actually won the race 57 to 43%. So, A lot of trust in government at that time. Hope we can get that back. If you want to listen to that interview with former mayor, Norm Rice, you can visit my website, VoicesOfExperience.com. Then you'll see on the masthead, Radio. Double-click on to that, and then you will scroll down to click here. It's like green letters. Double-click on to that, then scroll down to numbers 22, 21 and you'll see norm rice part one part two well that's all the time we have for this edition to voices of experience my thanks to former mayor greg nichols for sharing his wisdom and experience with us today my name is paul casey and along with producer benny mathers thanks for listening quote of the week i don't trust anyone who is rude to a waiter because they would treat me the same way if i were in that position muhammad ali And finally, experience is our best teacher.